0: Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom-sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today we have a conversation with Susie Unger, who has an incredible story of transformation. She spent 20 years working as a celebrity agent in the entertainment industry. And during that time when she was working with people like Oprah, people thought she had it all together, but she was struggling deeply with an eating disorder and harmful levels of perfectionism. Susie entered residential treatment and discovered her life's purpose beyond her eating disorder and she ended up leaving her career behind to become a licensed therapist. She now helps others heal from food and body issues and is a proud ally who is passionate about bringing awareness to eating disorder struggles in the LGBTQIA community. Susie has an extraordinary recovery story. And before we get into it, I want to highlight the warrior that inspired this show. Michelle wrote in through the listener survey, quote, I'm 41 years old, and I've struggled with bulimia and anorexia for over 24 years. I'm 13 months into recovery now, but unfortunately still struggle most days with weight gain and body image, and if full recovery is even possible after all this time. It's so hard every day still. When does it get easier? Would really love to hear other people's stories who have fully recovered at my age and after being trapped for so long. End quote. Well, Michelle, today's show is a tribute to the long haul that many people face in their recovery journeys, struggling with the relationship to food and body decade after decade. Our guest Susie Unger started recovery at 45 and completely transformed her life. So Michelle, I hope this show fuels more hope in your journey and listener, please share your feedback with us. Take a few minutes and fill out our listener survey. You can find the link in the episode notes below. When you fill out the survey, you get entered into a raffle for a free recovery strategy session with me. Fill out this survey. It really helps us understand your needs so we can serve you better with our shows. Now let's get into this inspiring conversation with Susie Unger, living proof that recovery is possible at any age. Welcome to the show, Susie. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of yours and your work.
0: Likewise. Seriously, you are such a strong ally for people in recovery, doing the work you're doing. But I first want to dig into where you started, kind of where the call to adventure happened for you to embark on this journey to recovery. Because it happened what later in life for you. I don't
1: believe in numbers at all. I'm (laughs) ageless however the rest of the world is not so that's a constant struggle right fighting against that stigma but when i I guess i was about 45 and i had been struggling with anorexia my entire life but i didn't know it i truly did not know it i was absolutely in denial i was in television for about 25 years And I worked at Disney. I was a senior executive at Disney. And then I was at William Morris, which is one of the top talent agencies in the world, which later became WME. And I stayed through the transition. But there was this little secret that I had, but I didn't know I had, but everyone else did, which was I was making myself so small and I was actually dying inside. I was super successful at my job. And yet I would dress it up with fancy suits that were too big. And so, yeah, I was struggling with anorexia. Everyone knew it. And then I got to a point where it was critical. And I had an aha moment. My husband loves to cruise. So we went on a cruise and it was November and it was, we went to Australia and it was boiling hot. But at this point, I was freezing all the time. I didn't eat the entire time on the plane. We land in Australia and we go to the cabin and I go, I lie on the bed and all of a sudden I see myself rise above the bed, above the cabin, above the ship, and I'm literally seeing my body and the world from below. And all of a sudden I heard a voice that said, not now, drop me. And I woke up and I was hysterical crying. Wow. And in that moment, I knew something had to change. And on that same ship, I was wearing long sleeved everything. So it was bathing suit time. And my husband and I were having cocktails. And I walked across the pool and I heard this family talking about me. And the man was a doctor. And he said, She's going to die. And I walked over to them. I had been sitting right next to them. And I walked over to them and I said, you don't know that I was in a terrible accident. And all of a sudden I hear myself lying and I'm crying. And I say to my husband, Henry, we need to go upstairs right now. We go to the cabin. I look at myself in the mirror behind the door. And for the very first time, Jess, I saw myself the way other people saw me. I'm going to start crying. I, know, I fell to the ground and I literally said, how did this happen? And he, my husband said, honey, I've been telling you this. I've been telling you this. And I was like, we need to leave and I want to go to treatment. And that was it. Wow. That was it.
0: And so when you said you literally, you saw yourself for what you
1: really I were at that I saw myself and we won't talk about numbers, but I am a tall woman and I was skin and bones and at that moment i was afraid i wasn't going to get through the night for the first time and i of course wasn't sleeping and was freezing all the time and shaking my brain wasn't functioning at all i got into treatment and they did my intake and i literally said to the woman who was doing my intake are you recovered and she said i am and at that moment I knew I didn't want to be a big, fancy television agent anymore. This is what I wanted to do. And originally, I thought my work would be helping women over 40 exclusively. And I was in a house with five other girls, all of whom were half my age, in and out of treatment centers their whole life. But I had this brain that was like, come on, guys, it's time to eat. I was excited. I was in it. And I helped them recover. And there were amazing stories. And they told me, even to this day, the reason that I recovered is because I had never seen anyone who wanted recovery. And I was like, yeah, I, I get that. Because I think that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of treatment centers duplicate these medicalized models of what we're supposed to do when we're in treatment. And it's not about that. Everyone's story is so unique and so different.
0: Yeah, it's about really getting to the core of the individual. And what I love so much about your individual character traits that you have, one is just this high like resilience and you're not going to take no for an answer, kind of stubbornness, which when channeled to an eating disorder can get you to where you were. I've never thought about it like that,
1: Jess. That's actually so true. My dedication and my passion for what I do becomes very Mm single-minded. So when I was an agent, I was extremely competitive, extremely successful, being a woman in reality television. And when I first started, there were three of us who were doing reality television. So that tells you, A, about the world I lived in and created, and then not able to see this thing about my eating disorder, but it became part of my power and control. I was known as Susie Unger. Clients asked me how I stayed so thin. I would lie through my teeth. I would tell them that I ate everything in sight. And meanwhile, I would eat literally those 35 calorie cheese things and one cracker. And I would make that last all day long. Was it
0: more about the control of the food? Like when you said at that point, that aha moment, this is how I
1: really look like. I was stuck in these forces that continue to tell women and to all of us that we're not enough that we have we listen to media and family and history and television and we are constantly being bombarded with these messages that we internalize right Mm -hmm. so being thin being powerful being a woman in a corporation It was all about that. And I listened and internalized those messages. I saw magazine covers with my associates that were all thin and beautiful and successful. So my thing was like, I need to stay like this. I need to stay like this because whatever I'm doing is working. That's Mm -hmm. what I thought. And in order to stay like this, I have to minimize everything that I eat. I can't go above or beyond because that would be coloring out of the lines.
0: Now, so when you got into treatment, was that, would you say that was your first significant type of relationship or
1: mentorship that you had? I had been in therapy my whole life. I lied to all my therapists. If anyone was ever concerned, I was like, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. Doctors invisibilize it. They just say, hey, you're a little thin, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, I've had the flu. I would just make excuses and they were accepted. Everyone just believed it. And when I got into treatment for the first time, and it was painful, you know, I was told women over 40 don't recover, you could die in here, I asked my first night, am I going to die in here? And they said, they didn't say anything. And it was terrifying. They woke me up all night long for the first two weeks. And they would check my take my, um, my pulse and my vitals. And I realized like, what had I done to myself? But I loved, loved being in treatment. I loved talking about it, seeing it from a different way, inspiring others with my story. And I really wanted, I just wanted to be, they actually had to ask me to leave treatment. I was there for eight months and they literally had to say to me, we think you're done. You need to go home to your husband. And I was like, but I love this journey. I loved it. I learned about myself. I learned about a lot of the underlying reasons. I learned about all of the things that made me feel like I was constantly in deficit. And I learned that I mattered. And I learned that my identity as Susie Unger, power agent, was nothing. That there was a mission and a purpose I had in my life. And it was more important to me than anything And I think my recovery was based on knowing that if I could find something that mattered outside of my body, my physical body, that anything was possible. There was possibility on the other end of this tunnel. And I still feel that way. I still, every day, I feel so blessed because I know how hard it is. And I work with my clients and they understand that I understand That this is there's so much stigma, and so much erasure of our identities as people. That somehow it's this reductive identity of how much you weigh. That that seems to be what matters. And I have clients who come in and they're like, "I'm up an ounce," and we have to talk about that. And I remember that I had that feeling. I would measure myself on the scale, all the time. And now the measurement is that, that mentality. I still get, sus- you know, I'm still susceptible. When I was in school, my measurement was, oh, I want straight A's. No, I want straight A pluses. I'm not asking for grades. Doesn't matter. Just give me an evaluation. So I started to find purpose in my life. And that's what I'm trying to inspire others. So I was in school and I took an LGBT course And I felt like, oh, I'm home. I grew up in San Francisco. My mother is an activist. She's been an AIDS activist since 1982, first female journalist in Ward 28 at San Francisco General. And I was like, oh, this population is not seen. There's so much oppression and so much stigma Mm -hmm. and so much marginalization. And we don't talk about it. We don't talk about eating disorders or the struggle with body identity or body image with this population. Who's doing it? Nobody. So for my very first internship or traineeship, I went to a place called Being Alive that was all HIV positive gay men. And I was still in school and a professor, I was taking a class and one of my professors, I wrote a, a a paper about gay men, body image and stigma. And one of my professors said, Susie, you need to speak about this. So I applied to the Gay and Lesbian Psychological Association and was asked to speak on it. And so I spoke on it as a fierce ally. And then my work took me to the LGBT Center. Um, I also have a private practice. But at the center, I was working with a lot of people of color, trans men and women. And it's like the 12th domino in the room. It showed up always issues about the body, the identity, the image. And I said, hey, we don't even assess for this. We need to start talking about this. So I started a group there, which I love so much. And, you know, I just feel like it's really important to pull people out from underneath the stigma and the shame.
0: Do you feel like this has helped you bond more with your mom or? Yes,
1: my mom and I did not speak. When I wasn't eating, she was like, you know, You look like a Holocaust victim. You need help. You need help. And I was like, F you. No, I don't. I'm fine. You couldn't say anything to me. I was in fierce denial.
0: And on the outside, I mean, you're representing, like, these major celebrities. Like, on the outside, you're, like, got everything together with your career. So you can always fall back. I mean, I think a lot of times people fall back. Well, I know. I'm doing fine. Like, look what I'm doing in the world. I'm having all this, you know, success in my job. So you know, the food's not an issue. Don't worry
1: about that. I really do believe secrets keep you sick Mm -hmm. and that there is so much shame and that we all have to eat every day. And we all have stories and we all think about it. And the diet industry is constantly telling us, don't eat this, don't eat blue, don't eat black, don't eat purple, don't eat, do this, do that. And so we're stuck in this capitalistic, rhythm of what we're supposed to do and not do. Mm -hmm. And we lose choice. We become bombarded with these messages and we really believe them because they're everywhere. And I know for me, I was stuck in this image of a powerful woman needs to be thin. Mm -hmm. I just had no idea about what I was actually doing to my body and what I wasn't thinking about, what I had lost sight of. And when you start to lose sight of all of the feelings and everything that feels like it goes through the body and that it has nothing to do with the body or the number on the scale, nothing, and you start to find this purpose in your life, then there's possibility. And if there's possibility, then it means something can change. Just give us a little window, a little opening to find meaning and purpose and usually, it's about people wanting to be connected to something. It's about connection. It's about relationships. And then it's about support and building your tribe. I always ask people, "Who are you? tell me about your tribe. Tell me about your people. I want to know about that. I don't want to know about the problem. I want to know what matters to you. I want you to tell me things that no one else knows, or I want to get into your imagination. If you could be or do anything in the world, what would that be? Oh, you want to be a ballerina? Tell me why. What is it about being a ballerina? Well, I would be on stage. I would be seen. I would be applauded. I could move. Awesome. So and then we start building the puzzle. Oh, so there are things that matter to you outside of this. And then people start to get on their journey. And I'm not saying it's like, up the whole time. It goes like this. But if you can find purpose and meaning, then there's possibility and there's hope. And you can get outside from this very, very, very small window and identity that you are stuck in. When I when I do my groups, especially for transgender men and women, for um, people in the LGBTQI world, just to be able to talk about it. To not be in shame, to have be allies to each other. It, you know, I, I cry after every group because just being heard and just talking about it lifts the stigma and the shame.
0: Now, would you say this is a, a new tribe that you found from recovering from getting to where you were? I mean, before,
1: who you, who was your tribe? My tribe before was very superficial. My tribe was about having other people like me. My tribe was about doing things for other people. As an agent, all I did was make other people's dreams come true. That was what I was, that was every single moment. It was about everyone else except me. And now I'm aligned with my clients and with my work. We're in it together. It's a journey. I see them. I build with them. We hold hands and we climb the mountain together And that, to me, is the most important thing. And I will say, in two and a half years, I've never had a client leave me. You went from
0: your clients in the world of entertainment, helping them reach their dreams, but you're still doing that. You're helping your clients who are struggling with food and body issues reach their dreams in a more transformational, alchemical process, as opposed to just fame and
1: numbers and follower exactly exactly like and don't mean. get me wrong I loved my work and I loved my clients and I loved the creativity but and so I loved it but and there's more there's more and all of my friends who are still agents so many of them whisper in my ear I want to do what you're doing <laughs> I want to get I want to get out of this. And people come to me all the time and talk about how can I get out from underneath? I'm bulimic. I binge. I, all these little secrets. And that's the thing about a eating disorder. It's invisible. You can't see it. But we don't know what people do. And it, there's so much shame attached. And I love Brene Brown, right? I listen to Brene Brown all the time. And Brene says something like, If you keep shame in a Petri dish and you add judgment and isolation, it will just fester. But if you have that Petri dish and you have shame and then you add empathy, there's possibility. So it's about getting and listening and connecting to people.
0: I love that quote from her. Just like the I visual love of it, you're like, yes, that is exactly how you stop shame from growing. Yes. It's so important. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, you know, you have this amazing story that you've been able to just go in. Okay, I want to recover. But where were some of these points in the journey, these darker moments where you really had to face some trials and tribulations?
1: <sighs> there were so many. I mean, when I was in treatment, there were moments where... I'd be in, in group with these four other women in their 20s. And I had so much shame about double their age. I have screwed up my life. Look what I have done to myself. How did this happen to me? And why did this happen to me? And there's no answer, right? There's no like, oh, it's X or Y or Z. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And I would spend hours and I would be crying out of shame for just being there. The food wasn't the problem for me. I got in there and I ate my food. The problem was feeling my body change my clothes. When I got out of treatment, I continued and I went into a transitional living space with three other women. They didn't tell me in treatment what it would feel like when you're no longer just wearing sweatpants, right? Mm-hmm. where you're wearing elastic waist. And all of a sudden I'm in this home and none of my clothes fit. And it was fit as much as I wanted it. It was so jarring. And I remember going with the nutritionist to lunch. Soon as I got out of treatment and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't eat all the sushi that I was supposed to eat. I went right back and I caught that moment. I had a therapist who Real she was she she busted me. She was like, What is going on? And I talked about it and I'm like, I don't yell at me. I I don't I don't know. I'm scared. And so we had to get through the fear of being getting through this journey that I was no longer Susie Younger power agent. I was actually Susie Younger without a title. And I was growing and part of the, the weight. And the change, no one prepares you for that, what that feels like to be in the world in a different body. You're literally in a different body. And it takes, it probably took me a year when I was living at home to be able to really, really, you know, settle into it and be proud of it. And people say, you look so good. You look so good. Well, that used to mean you look fat.
0: That's a very common thing that people feel like, oh, yeah, healthy. Mm. Like <laughs> Yeah.
1: So people would say, you look so good. People would say all kinds of things like, do you think you went too far? I heard it all. Really? Oh, yeah. I heard it all. And I like I had to challenge those thoughts. Right. Good is healthy. Healthy is good. Healthy is good. Healthy is good. And so the first year was really a struggle. It was a struggle. It wasn't easy. And then continuing to go to groups and therapy and understand that, really understand that this is my body. I am so proud of it. I don't care what size it is. I never look at sizes. I never, I threw my scale away. Don't own one. Don't want one. When I go to the doctor, I say, please don't tell me. Doesn't matter to me. I'll stand backwards. It means nothing anymore.
0: That's so amazing. I love how you have been able to really take this experience and use it to help other people, like how you've been able, because even just in telling your story, it's, I, have heard hundreds of stories of recovery, and this is so, like, so many key themes in this are reoccurring through every, every story. Would you say the perfectionism, you had to work with that? Because it sounds like you've had that prior and that was part and parcel of the the disorder. How have you been able to manage expectations set by self?
1: Yeah. I had to I had to really deal with perfectionism. Perfectionism is always right here, right? We want to do well. We wanna be a certain way. I want to be an amazing therapist. I want to do all these things. And guess what? I'm perfectly imperfect. I can't do perfectionism because nobody can what is this elusive carrot that we're all chasing what is it it's smoke and mirrors it's a bait and switch you keep yourself in this like a rat on a wheel you're actually staying the same way and you still think that there's that you're going to be perfect if you get to x mm-hmm. and x doesn't exist and so all these messages that we're getting about how and what to be perfect actually Who is benefiting it's not us we're still all the rats on the wheel but the advertisers are benefiting the vitamin companies the food companies the commercials and yet we're all when we're in our eating disorders we're striving to get to this place that just doesn't exist so I've learned that there's no such thing as perfectionism and when I hear it whisper in my ear I really visualize it externalize it like oh that's the perfectionism. It's not going to get me. I talk back to it. And I, t- I tell my clients too, I work very narratively. So we externalize fear and we externalize perfectionism. And what is it saying to you? You have to be perfect in order to achieve. What if that isn't true? What, what if it's not true? I'll have clients say to me, you know, especially gay men are so stuck in this perfectionistic because. The chiseled body is what is privileged. And so to get outside of that idea and to look at the magazines and go, what do you think this perfect body, just tell me what you think it means. Oh, he has a partner. He has great sex. He makes a lot of money. I'm like, okay, now tell me the things that matter to you. Relationship, love, connection, Do you think there's another way, another doorway in to those things other than this picture? And people start to see, and by the way, do you think this might be airbrushed? Do you think that this, oh, there's another doorway. It's not through the body. It's actually through purpose and belonging and connection and finding something in my life that means more than the continuous thinking about what I'm going to eat, what I'm not going to eat, how I look, what the whole, we we know the whole thing, right? The spiral. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so for another externalized voice, do you
1: work with the inner critic? I absolutely do. Sometimes people don't have that, right? So you have to sort of create that dialogue and introduce them to that because they don't know that they even have it. It's only one voice. There's one voice that takes over the other voice. So if you have an unhealthy voice and a healthy voice, you can't hear the healthy voice. You don't even know it's there. You don't believe it's there. Mm. And so teaching clients that it comes as we start to like externalize and talk about what that unhealthy voice is saying to you, the healthy voice starts to emerge. And as it does, it starts to come up and come up and all of a sudden the unhealthy voice is gone. It just starts to go away. And I, you know, I use that all the time and, and writing about it and talking about it. I do all of that. But I think the most important thing is the connection between you and your client and you and your friends and you and your husband and you and your mother and you and your sister. That's what it's all about.
0: Yeah. Connection is so important. So important. The healthy voice and unhealthy is like when you're tuning a radio, you know, you hear like the static. Sometimes in the beginning, it's very loud. You're on one radio station. Yes. Then you start getting that intermingling and you're hearing one song and then you switch over. When did you really get to the point where you're like, wow, I'm switched over to this new radio station?
1: And here's the thing. I I don't know. And I say this to clients. I don't know. It wasn't July 24th at three o'clock, you know? (laughs) It just starts to happen. I actually was running a group the other day, and I said, I just want you to know that recovery is possible, that those voices start to get really, really small, but you're not going to wake up one day and go, oh, they're gone. You're going to look back over time and see that it's gradual, and that's okay. Slip, fall, it's fine, but when people say, I want to recover, I'm like, where do you want to recover to? What's the passion behind that?
0: So how did it look like for you? Because you you get into treatment, you're like, I want to do that. I want to help people. And it seemed like even in treatment, you were being an ally to others and helping them. Like, you can do this. You can do this. When did you switch over to start studying and becoming a therapist? The minute I got out of treatment,
1: I was like, this is what I want to do. And I started looking at schools. I took a little time off, but I knew this is what I wanted to do. And you were over the age of 50, right? Oh yeah. So I was, um, yeah, I was 50 and I was in school all of a sudden with a bunch of people that look like you. And I felt like I'm 14 in my head. I didn't notice the age difference. What I did notice is that there are no longer really textbooks. Everything's online. (laughs) I didn't know how to do that. I had three assistants who did all my work, would get my coffee, would dial my phone calls, would get my laundry if I wanted it. And then all of a sudden I'm in school with these amazing people with blue and purple hair and and I'm talking about racism and I'm talking about individuality and I'm talking about success compared to what? And I started to see that it's all compared to what? And the measurement and the scaling and all of that, I didn't have time to think about Food. I didn't have time to, I needed to feed my body to get through school, but I didn't even think about it. I had my snacks, I had my lunch, I had my things, and it just became effortless. And that's the hope, right? I'm lucky. But I know for me, the reason I'm lucky is because I wanted it. And I saw what life would look like outside of my eating disorder, that there was possibility that it didn't mean I had to stay small and isolated, that I could go and do whatever I wanted. I remember going to the doctor when I was a little girl, my mother sending me because I would eat my food. And the doctor would say, just get a Hershey bar. They didn't know how to treat it back then. And they still don't. People still don't know how to treat it properly. It's not a disease. It's a struggle with the ideas that are out there about who and what we should be and we get caught up in it, and we get caught up in those ideas, and it's hard for us to find the doorway out. And the pathologizing is, I think, what keeps people sick. You are anorexic. Well, then, all of a sudden, there's my identity. Oh, okay, now, I don't know if I can get out of that. Like, you're telling me that's who and what I am. I'm so much more than that. That's what I wanna find out about as a clinician, I don't care about your diagnosis at all because the diagnosis like the unhealthy voice will start to go away, It, it doesn't matter. And I think it's so important, like, you know, I dream of one day having my own treatment center, specializing in everyone, an invitation to LGBTQIA, where we don't talk about what your diagnosis is It doesn't matter. You're struggling with something and we're all in it together. And what are the ideas out there about who and what we should be? How do we become protesters of those ideas? How do we protest that? How do we get into self-surveillance and start looking at those? Oh, those, I get where those are coming from. That's not what I want to be caught up in. That feels like the work.
0: And when someone shifts their identity, do you find that that's, Like a shedding process where maybe they feel like they're going two steps backwards before going forward because there's maybe this nebulous zone of, well, who am I? Did you experience, you kind of mentioned that you experienced, well, I'm like, can I go back to being a TV agent, exec, or just an entertainment exec, agent, or am I? Am I going to this unknown chapter that I have no idea what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, it was absolutely unknown. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm stripped of that identity. I'm in a different body, which makes you feel different in this universe. There's more of me. I don't have that identity to cling on to. So now I'm Susie Unger in the world without an eating disorder. And who am I? So now who am I? and learning to know that the perfectionism is not going to rule my life, that I'm fine, that I am amazing, and that I no longer have to measure my self-worth on a scale. I don't own a scale, so what am I going to do? Where is it going to come from? It's going to come from inside here. And I think it's important to connect people to those feelings and to hopes and dreams. I don't care what it is. If you like to walk on the beach for one hour, and that brings you some kind of joy, that's part of recovery. Go do that. Take a yoga class. Feel your feelings. I love giving clients rocks or a transitional object where they hold on to it and they know that we're connected because I gave it to them. But I gave my client a rock, and he told me that when he goes into the bathroom, he can't purge anymore because he thinks of me. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's amazing because he's connected to something and he may not know what it is, but he's connected to something and he knows it's in our work together that he doesn't need to go do that. He can just take the rock and hold it.
0: Oh, that's so amazing. And just goes to show the power of connection because you're you're feeling account that accountability. And I found that was so important with therapy is to have someone you're feeling accountable to. And yeah. self starting, but sometimes the beginning, just having that ally like you are as a therapist as in, in your work is like being that ally there for somebody holding the space for
1: them. Right. It's so important. And for myself, mm-hmm. right? Having that space where I know that I'm not just there to help you. We're doing this together. I'm doing my work with you. Yes, I'm watching you climb the mountain, but I'm right there with you. And this is my work to be connected. This is how my eating disorder, my stuff will never come into play because I am with you watching and journeying with you. And I think that's so important as a clinician to be so connected. So many therapists come in and right away, they're rubbing their hands together. They want to hear about the trauma and they want to hear about the problem. It'll come, but that's not what it's about. It's about the connection and the rapport.
0: Yeah. And I love how it's like getting to what, what is your passion? What is your purpose?
1: And then let's see what's holding you back from getting there. Yes. Yes, I had a client yesterday come to me and say, okay. And she's, she struggles and she hasn't binged and purged for three weeks. And she came in yesterday and she said, you know what I want to do? I want a double session. I want to bring in a calendar and I want to set goals. Oh, it's awesome. And it amazing. Right. So I'm like done. And having those goals and putting it down on paper, and that is what's going to hold her accountable, these ideas and these dreams.
0: I love it. Oh, Susie Unger, you are such an inspiring woman, and I can see how passionate you are in doing this work in the world. Where can all the listeners and viewers connect with you?
1: Um, uh, well, first of all, you're amazing. You are very special. I want to say that you are very special. You listen. You hear. You're very, very gifted at what you do, and I applaud you for your recovery and for the work that you do and for the invitation to be here. Um, you can find me at susieungertherapy.com. Oh,
0: thank you so much, Susie. Thank you. Thank you, Susie Unger. Now let's go over three key takeaways from this conversation to help you recover strong. Key takeaway number one, it's never too late to recover. So many people have responded to our listener survey asking for content about recovering in your forties, fifties, sixties and beyond. I highlighted Michelle's request in the beginning of the episode and hers is one of many we've received to cover this topic. Our guest, Susie, is a shining example that it's never too late to recover and transform your life. It's a choice you can make and succeed at any time. Susie first found recovery in her 40s and is carrying it now into her 50s. She was so motivated to recover that she became an inspiration for not only people recovering in their older years, but for younger people she lived with while in treatment.
1: Originally, I thought my work would be helping women over 40 exclusively. And I was in a house with five other girls all of whom were half my age, in and out of treatment centers their whole life. But I had this brain that was like, come on guys, it's time to eat. I was excited. I was in it and I helped them recover. And there were amazing stories. And they've told me even to this day, the reason that I recovered is because I had never seen anyone who wanted recovery. And I was like, yeah, I, I get that.
0: If you want recovery, you can find it. This reminds me of a few quotes of the legendary athlete Serena Williams that I absolutely love. Because if you really want to think about how to win something and how to be a champion and how to fully go after something that really matters to you, this woman is a powerhouse of wisdom. And Serena Williams says, quote, I am lucky that whatever fear I have within me, my desire to win is always stronger. I'm going to say that again. I love this. I am lucky that whatever fear I have within me, my desire to win is always stronger. And Serena Williams also said, if plan A isn't working, I have plan B, plan C, and even plan D. Now, this is the recipe of the hopeful is to have multiple pathways to get somewhere. So treatment didn't work for you this time try again. This treatment modality approach didn't work for you. Try another one. And just one more of the many great quotes from Serena Williams. She says, I don't like to lose at anything. Yet I've grown most not from victories, but setbacks. So setbacks are part of the recovery process. It doesn't matter how many years you've been suffering or what your age is. Recovery is possible. So that is key takeaway number one it's never too late to recover. Key takeaway number two, lean into the recovery journey. Recovery is hard. It is a transformation that is messy, scary, and painful. And at the same time, there's so many positive things that come from it too, like a deeper understanding of who you are and why you have struggled. Susie found a lot of enjoyment in the recovery journey.
1: I loved, loved being in treatment. I loved talking about it, seeing it from a different way, inspiring others with my story. And I really wanted, I just wanted to be, they actually had to ask me to leave treatment. I was there for eight months and they literally had to say to me, we think you're done. You need to go home to your husband. And I was like, but I love this journey. I loved it. I learned about myself. I learned about a lot of the underlying reasons. I learned about all of the things that made me feel like I was constantly in deficit. And I learned that I mattered. While Susie
0: definitely had a lot of privilege to be in residential treatment for eight months, she did not take her experience for granted and really leaned into it. As they say... When the student is ready, the teacher appears. There is so much to learn in recovery. Whether you are at a higher level of treatment, working with a treatment team like a therapist or dietitian in the outpatient setting, or working on your recovery on your own, no matter what your treatment looks like, lean into the light and dark corners of your psyche as you push up against your growth edges. Be in awe of the transformation you are achieving, because it is an amazing thing. Recovery doesn't have to be all hardship there are beautiful gifts of personal growth that come from it too. That was key takeaway number two, lean into the recovery journey. Finally, key takeaway number three, discover who you are beyond an eating disorder. You are not your eating disorder, your body size, or your career. In recovery, Susie realized that she was so much more than the superficial things in life she was trying to chase. And from this openness and awareness, found a higher purpose.
1: I learned that my identity as Susie Unger, power agent, was nothing. That there was a mission and a purpose I had in my life, and it was more important to me than anything. And I think my recovery was based on knowing that if I could find something that mattered outside of my body, my physical body, that anything was possible. There was possibility on the other end of this tunnel. And I still feel that way. I still, every day, I feel so blessed because I know how hard it is. And I work with my clients and they understand that I understand that this is, there's so much stigma and so much erasure of our identities as people that somehow it's this reductive identity of how much you weigh.
0: Find what matters outside of your body in anything physical. There's so much to embrace in life when you discover who you are beyond an eating disorder. So these are our three key takeaways from this conversation with Susie Unger.